You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Morning, church. Morning. <laughs> All right. Today, um, if you don't know me, my name's Dexter, and I get the privilege of kickstarting the new sermon series in the book of Acts, The Works of the Holy Spirit. So how does this book start? So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 1, we'll be going through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Or you can follow it up on the screen. How does this book start? It starts off with this. In my former book, Theophilus, I have wrote about all that Jesus has begun to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. Now, who's the author? The author identifies himself as Luke. He's the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And really, the book of Acts is the second part of this whole long scroll. So it's like where you go to the movies and you watch movies like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. There's actually two parts. So Luke was part one and Acts is part two. Part one that Luke wrote was about what Jesus has begun to do. And Acts is the second part, which is what Jesus continues to do through the works of his spirit through his disciples. Now, what is the works that Jesus wants to do through the spirits to his disciples? What, 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 what do we have to do? Continuing verse 2, after giving them instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he has chosen. So now there's this, these t- instructions. What were the instructions? Now, if you look at the end of Luke, it says Christ suffered and rose from the dead. And on the third day, he rose again and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are, you the disciples are to be my witnesses of all these things. And I'm going to send you. Now, in Matthew's words, Matthew's gospel's words, In the same event, Matthew writes that Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you to do. Now, what were these instructions? It's the Great Commission. Now, this is our singular goal. This is our mission. And I want you to get it clear early on so that we will be on the same page. What is the mission? The mission is, our aim is to make disciples who relies on Jesus, who then in turn make others disciples. In other words, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This assignment is for the church, us to call the lost to repentance, to call them to the cross, to turn away from their sins, to not rely on their own righteousness, but his righteousness, to adore and love Jesus. Now, this command is not optional. This is pretty much the marching orders from the commander-in-chief. Now, this mission is not a ministry elective, no, This is meant to be our lifestyle, to reach those as close as those living in our homes and as far as those living towards the ends of the earth. That's the mission. And you may be thinking that this mission seems impossible. Well, 
to what maybe the the disciples who who was first heard this, maybe they thought it was impossible as well. Like, we have Facebook, Twitter, we have the internet, all they had was carrier pigeons. We have the convenience of cars and of travel, of planes before COVID, but they had donkeys. But still, to today, it's a very daunting task for it, is it not? Sometimes we think this mission is impossible because how can I bring Jesus to my workplace when I'm the only one? How can I bring Jesus to my university when the moment I say I'm a Christian, all eyes are on me and they will call me names like a hypocrite and a bigot? What if they ask me questions about the faith that I have no idea how to answer? What if the hard questions come? How can I bring the gospel to my household, to my home, to my family when they've been following another religion for many years now, when I'm the only one? How can I do that? I can't even bring the gospel to my own homes yet to... Go to the nations? That seems like an impossible mission. But what if I told you that this mission, so-called seems impossible, was possible? Now, if you've seen any of Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible series, you know that the mission is possible because he accomplished like pretty much every single mission in every movie series that, that he starred in? What if I told you that the mission impossible was possible or like another movie in the movie Kung Fu Panda? Poe innocently just wants to see who will be elected as the new dragon warrior who saves the day, the chosen one, but he couldn't get over. He was late, the door was closed, and so he builds himself a makeshift Jetpack out of a chair and fireworks, he lights it up, he flies up over the wall and he crash lands straight down in the middle of the auditorium. And the moment he opens his eyes, he sees the Furious Five, you know, Mantis, Snake, Monkey, and Tigress. What's the other one? Crane. But then he also sees a finger just pointing towards him. And Master Ugwe, the turtle, declares, this is your new dragon warrior. And Poe's like, who, me? And, and then he tries to move around. He tries to shift around. But as he shifts around, that finger moves with him. And everyone thinks this is a mistake. Everyone thinks, how can a panda save the day? How can he be the dragon warrior? Everyone doubted, including Poe himself throughout the movie. This quest just seems impossible. This mission seems, I seem so well ill-equipped, but we know towards the ending of the movie, Poe lived up to his dragon warrior status when he knew he wasn't doing this alone, when he was focused and when he found power within himself, he pretty much saves the day. Now, why am I telling you all this? What if mission impossible, we so believe, could be made possible and I tell you how it can be made possible. Now this is the title of my sermon, Mission Impossible Made Possible. How? I show you in the text. It is made possible when we have the gift of his presence, when we stay focused, and when we receive power. But before we dig into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are here. Lord, I pray that you anoint me, anoint my lips. Lord, I pray that I be helpful to those who are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 3. 
After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to all these men and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Wait! Don't go anywhere. Wait, but wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that my Father has promised you that you heard me talking about. Now, why did Jesus say wait to his disciples when they were so on fire? They were so pumped. Just imagine them. We just saw Jesus was brutally beaten, mocked and crucified, and he died and he was buried. But now he's walking around alive for 40 days. And we are not just the only witnesses, but there was many other people who witnesses as well. People were laughing, but now who's getting the last laugh? We are. So let's go out. Let's go. Let's catch more. But Jesus says, wait. He says, wait, why? Because Jesus knows if his squad doesn't have the Holy Spirit with them, then that's just a suicide squad. The movie's out, by the way. (laughs) And here's where the mission is made possible. When we have the gift of his presence. When Jesus mentions in verse 4 about a gift that he's going to give... Now, what was that gift? I'll tell you where. It's, it's in John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So in other words, that gift was the Holy Spirit, God's presence, his spirit himself. Now, one of the reasons why we think this mission is impossible, because most of the time we think that we're doing it alone. When we're alone, we think we're not good enough. We don't know enough. We have this fear that cripples us to even attempting the mission. But when you know who is with you and who goes with you, does not that presence drive out fear? For example, for those of you who are scared of the dark, petrified of the dark, but the moment that you have someone there whom you know is with you, doesn't that fear decrease drastically? I used to fear the swimming pool quite a bit because I was an idiot and I'd jump in the pool and I can't swim because I'm Asian and then people have to drag me out, do some CPR on me. Happened a few times and I was petrified of the pool. My dad knew this. And so he helped me get over that fear because my dad would be in the center of the swimming pool and he would tell me, Dex, jump in. Trust me. And so I did. I jump in. And I wasn't drowning. I wasn't drinking water like a camel. Because my dad has grabbed me and he puts me over his back and he starts swimming. And I'm not swimming, I'm still, I, I still can't swim today. <laughs> and that's one of my fondest memories in all of my childhood was that I thought I was on a blastoise. But my dad helped me get over my fear of the swimming pool because his presence was there and it's his presence and it's whom I can trust. Now our mission can be made possible when we have the gift of his presence. But I know sharing the gospel, being a witness, it's still very hard for us today. Just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean I have it any easier than you. I remember four years ago, 
There was a time before I went to a young adult's camp. I had this weird dream that I told my church about, I told my my wife about. I, I had this dream where I met this young man who was crying because he was about to die and I didn't know how to comfort him. Then I woke up, but I remember that dream vividly. You know, one of those dreams that you just don't forget, where you remember every detail and it seems so real. And then I went to camp and then I was like, no way, because I actually met the guy. And it so happened that he was in my group. And then I'm like, maybe this couldn't be the guy because he was one of the most happiest, most jolly guy that I know. It was just so hard. That's my first impression of him. But, and, and we got so close in the period of camp. We just clicked. We just became like best of friends. And then he, he opened up to me. And he, he took off his beanie throughout the whole camp. He kept his beanie on no matter how sweaty or, or the games sort of got. He kept his beanie on. But when the moment he took his beanie off, he told me, Dexter, I actually have a terminal illness that there's not many treatment that could, to, could cure me anymore. And I had the sense of urgency to tell him about Jesus at that time because I knew that he was a non-believer. It just so happens that one of his friends invited him to this young adults camp. And I remember asking him, hey, can I talk to you tonight alone? And then I, we, I got him into this room. It was just us and we were sitting uh, on this couch. I remember it. And all I remember asking in my heart was, Lord, I know you're with me. Help me. I don't even know where to start. How can I even bring comfort in a situation like this? And, and, I, and this is how the conversation went. This is how it started. Hey, man, I know it sounds weird, but I met you already in my dreams. Now, he even starts a conversation like that. It seems like I'm hitting on him, right? But he loves me so much that he lets me continue. And then I, I got to share, I started talking about Jesus, about this eternal life that Jesus paid the price for and that he can have it too. After camp, we continued to keep in contact. I came and have dinner with him and, and we went out. I gave him a Bible and we were reading the book of John together. But then months, just a few months later, he, he passed passed away but I will never forget this moment when he was standing on a church stage and he said this I don't know much about Jesus but I love him already I don't know much about Jesus but I love him already he professed that and at that moment I knew that his eternal destiny has changed forever How could I whip up conversations like that about Jesus? Is it because I'm a bit more braver than you? Or is it because I I have confidence in my eloquence of my choices of words? No. I go because our God goes. Because I know our God calls us on mission and he commissioned us to be there, to stand there for his namesake. And all I know in those moments is that God's presence is with me. If this week you know too that his presence is with you, how would that change the way you see this mission? At your home, at your workplace, at your schools, when you know that you're not alone? 
that you really believe that God's Holy Spirit's presence is with you. And so when you have those encounters, when you meet those strangers on the streets, when they, you have those difficult conversations about the faith, the mission is made possible because the gift of His presence. Second, the mission impossible made possible when we stay focused. You stay focused. Well, what happens? Verse 6. So when they met together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time, like, like right now, going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Then Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set, because that's his own authority. Now what just happened here? Well, Jesus was talking about this mission, and then they got distracted. Hey, when are you coming back? They, they were distracted, and Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, no, outright, no, I'm not coming back. No, he's, he knows that it will be a time that he will return. But to me here, Jesus is pretty much telling his disciples to focus, to focus, because he is more concerned about them being more focused on their going rather than his coming. He's more concerned about our going rather than us concentrating on his coming. Because there are people out there that doesn't get this. They get so distracted, they miss the point. They get so bogged down and trying to work out the dates where Jesus will return, the exact dates, and people argue over that. And then there's people that claim that they know the exact date and time that Jesus will come back. And when those dates and time comes to pass, they say it's been postponed. It's crazy. Jesus wants us to stay focused on the mission because the mission will become impossible if we are distracted, if we do something else and we don't even attempt the mission. Of course, it will be impossible. And if you get to know me well enough, you would know that I get distracted really easily. In the basketball courts, if you trash talk me, I will miss that shot. If you call my name and you're on the other team, I will pass the ball to you. I get distracted. You can ask my wife for proof when I'm driving, I will miss important turns and intersections where it will get me lost and extend the time to get there because all she simply asked was a question. And I will blame her and then I will say sorry because I get scared. I get distracted. We all get distracted. What are we distracted with right now? What's stopping us from attempting this mission that God has placed before us? Is it our studies? I have to get that grade. Is it that business? I have to earn this much. Is it that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that relationship? Or even is it your singleness that you're just so concentrating on not being alone? And maybe you're like, oh, Dexter, you don't get it. In my singleness, I flirt to convert. Now don't do that usually ends up horrible. What else is distracting you? Is it the things of this world? Is it the sin that you indulge in? Maybe we have created ourselves these illusions that someone else can do it and we use that as an excuse to disqualify ourselves. But what gave us the right to do that? Maybe it's the good things in our lives that is actually stopping us from the mission because we're so distracted on things like family. Family's good. Or even things like ministry. 
I'm already serving in the church. I'm too busy to be a witness for Jesus. We get distracted. But what's the opposite of being distracted? It's focus, is it not? Have you been keeping up with the Olympic Games? In every event, if you see the athlete's eyes, you just see how focused they are as they pursue their goal and prize because they know that the moment of distraction could be devastating for them to achieve that gold medal. One of the better movies that I've seen is the movie Taken, just the first one. The others are trash. When the father knew that his daughter was taken and in danger as he was talking to her captors, he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I tell you now I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills that I've acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, That will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. At that point, I got shivers. (laughs) Because the bad guys were in for it. And with discipline and focus, Liam Nelson goes on this rescue mission, bulldozing over any enemies that stand in his way until he finds his daughter, until his daughter is within his embrace. He stops at nothing. Now this is the same with our Lord Jesus Christ, minus all the violence against his enemies. He too was tempted, but yet he stayed on course towards the cross so that we could make it across from life, from death to life. He pays the ultimate price. Jesus was focused on a rescue mission. And just like how the Father has sent him, he now sends us. Just like how he was so focused on saving the lost, he too wishes us to stay focused on the lost. So church, let's not be distracted by huge gatherings of crowds and of lights and smoke machines and of of sounds of the subwoofers. Rather, let's concentrate on the outward preaching of the gospel and making disciples. Why? Because a church that usually doesn't look for the lost is usually lost itself. And lastly... Mission impossible made possible when we receive power. Verse 8. But when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes onto you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when you read that, when we read that, we hear power. We're like, yeah. I wonder how the disciples would have reacted. Power, what type of superpower would I get? Is it to fly? Is it to teleport? Because that will surely make the mission easier. Just teleport all over the place. Oh, look, we're at the ends of the earth already. It can't be invisibility because it doesn't work that way. I'm invisible for the gospel. No, you can't. (laughs) If it was up to me, what power would I like? I would like to be like Professor X. Just to mind read you, Cerebo, and, you know, that would make my mission a lot easier. And that's Jordan, by the way, as the beast. Uh, let's next slide because that's distracting. But here's why we. 
don't receive power. It's not so that we can look cool, that we can look awesome, that we can be the man, that we can be the MVP. Jesus does not promise a political power of status where everyone just loves us. We get the popular vote. No, he does not even promise a financial power that we'll be rich and get anything that we ever want. He does not even promise his disciple a power where they will be exempt from trouble. He does not put them in a protective bubble from persecution and hardship and the storms and trials of life. He does not do that. So what is this power then? I'll tell you what this power is for. It's the power to be a witness. It's the power for the mission. If you read verse 8 again, but when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes onto you, you will be my witness. So the power's purpose is to be witnesses. For us to be witnesses. Now this word witness in the Greek is martis, where we get the word martyr from, used to describe people who dies for their faith because they are so sure of what they believe. And maybe you're here like, hey, hang on, I don't want to die. Look, you're not going to die. Chances are you're not going to die for your faith like our Christian brothers and sisters from other parts of the world where Christianity is illegal. But what does this 